Starting in Acts chapter 16, we have an account of what we commonly refer to as Paul's second missionary journey or his second journey. The beginning of that journey, Paul travels to several different places. He goes to Derby and Lystra, finds a young man by the name of Timothy there, and brings him along. Then he travels to Philippi. There he finds Lydia and the other women that are meeting by the river, praying to God. While he's there, he gets into a little bit of a jam because he gives... He takes away a girl's ability to foretell the future, and that causes a problem with those that were making money off of her. And he ends up in jail. But in that time in jail, he finds, he meets the jailer, the Philippian jailer, and I'm sure you're all familiar with that story. Left out, gets released from prison by a miracle from God, converts the jailer in his household, but As a result of all that, he ends up having to leave, so he goes to Thessalonica. At Thessalonica, there are some that are interested, but some of the Jews have him run out of town. From there, he goes to Berea. At Berea, he finds no pushback from the Bereans. Nobody's angry with him. Nobody challenges him. He has no pushback, either from the Jews or the Gentiles, at least as far as we know. He doesn't have any trouble there until some Jews from Thessalonica come down and give him the pushback that eventually causes him to have to leave town. So my question that I want us to start out with today is, what made the Bereans different Why was there no pushback? Why did he not get run out of town by the Bereans? It took Jews from another city to come in and cause him problems. Well, there were Jews there. Paul and Silas, it says, began their teaching in the synagogue there at Berea. And we're told that they verified, they decided to investigate and verify what Paul was saying. Paul, they didn't have the New Testament as we know it. So Paul was using the Old Testament to prove what he had to say about Jesus. And they were taking that old law, that Old Testament that they had at their hand and comparing the things that Paul had said to what they could read, what they could find out. They compared what he was teaching to Scripture. That's how they tested it to see if it was the truth. They wanted to see for themselves. And that's the point of my lesson today. They wanted to see for themselves. Paul called this activity that they engaged in more fair-minded or more noble, depending on your version. That word fair-minded or noble in Acts 17 and 11, is the word eugenies. That word is a compound word. It's from two root words. The root word you, which means to be well off, to be proper, okay, to be, to act well. And the word denomai, which means to become, to arise, to be made, to cause to be. They were caused to be better. That's what Paul says. 
So Paul is telling us that this personal investigation that they took upon themselves improved them. It made them to be better off, to, to be more well off. This also was recorded right there. It caused many Jews and Gentiles alike to believe. This seeking out of proof. My goal in this lesson is to encourage you to be more like the Bereans. To be more interested in seeing for yourself. And I want to go through some examples of times in Scripture when individuals wanted to see for themselves. Uh, We're going to go to the the book of John. John's account of Jesus' life He brings out several uh, instances where people tried to see, wanted to see for themselves. In John chapter 3, Jesus encounters a man by the name of Nicodemus. Nicodemus is an interesting guy. We find out in verse 1 that he was a Pharisee and a ruler of the Jews. Now, These individuals did not necessarily have a great relationship with Jesus, did they? He called them whitewashed tombs, vipers, hypocrites. He didn't have a lot of good things to say to or about them. But yet, Nicodemus here is a Pharisee. He is a ruler of the Jews. And it says in verse 2, This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Nicodemus comes at night because he's got some fear, but he comes because he wants to see for himself. He wants to see who this Jesus is. And what's really interesting to me is the verb or the pronoun that he uses. We know. We know. We've, we've been through this a lot in some of the lessons, but think about who the we is there. What did we just find out about Nicodemus? What is emphasized about Nicodemus? He's a Pharisee and a ruler of the Jews. And then he says to Jesus, we know. I think he's talking about other Pharisees and other rulers of the Jews. There were some that were believing that Jesus was from God. And Nicodemus comes to talk personally, one-on-one with Jesus, because he wants to see for himself. He believed this and wanted to find out about this because of the signs that Jesus was performing. One of those signs is in John chapter 9. In John chapter 9, Jesus heals a blind man. Now, at first, you would think that the healing of a blind man would be a good thing. This man had, I don't know how old he was, but he had been blind from birth. He had never seen anything in his whole entire life. And Jesus heals him. Upon being healed, this gets the attention of the Jewish leaders. Naturally, it would. Here's a guy that used to probably sit begging at the temple, and now he's walking around doing things. How is that possible? Word has spread about this man that lots of people apparently knew. How is it that he is no longer blind? So they call him in and question him. 
And in chapter 9 of John, verse 16, Therefore some of the Pharisees said, This man is not from God because he does not keep the Sabbath. Well, that's a good reason, right? To think that somebody's not from God. Now, interestingly enough, Jesus had not done anything against the laws that God had put down for the Sabbath. The laws that he had violated were not God's laws, they were man's laws. He had gone against what the Jewish leadership, people like Nicodemus, he had gone against what they said should be the specific rules on how to follow the Sabbath. He hadn't broken any of God's laws about the Sabbath. <clears throat> but they, some of them are upset because he broke the Sabbath, and others said, the rest of verse 16, how can a man who is a sinner do such signs? And there was division among them. This was not uncommon for Jesus to, to instill into people and gain a reaction from people that was two completely different ideas. Yes, he must be from God, or no, he can't possibly be. Verse 24, they call this man several times, but in verse 24, we have recorded that they call, the, the leadership, the Jewish leadership calls this man, verse 24, so they again called the man who was blind and said to him, give God the glory, we know this man is a sinner. Now, this isn't the first time they've talked to him. They keep bringing him back, trying to get him to say what they want him to say. Trying to get him to go along with what they think is true. It's interesting that this theme has come up in many lessons this week, this weekend. They want him to say what they think is true. But the man won't give in. In verse 25, he answered and said, whether he is a sinner or not, I do not know. One thing I know, that though I was blind, now I see. That phrase that we see in our the song we sing, Amazing Grace, right? Though I was blind, now I see. This man sticks to the facts. He sticks to what he knows to be true. He says, I, I don't know anything about this guy except I couldn't see and now I can. That's what I know. That's what he knew to be absolutely 100% true. So in verse 26, they badger him some more. Come on, you know you can. You know you can say it. What did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? They keep asking him these questions. So in verse 27, he answered them, I told you already, and you did not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples? What a great answer. Why are you so interested in this? Are you wanting to learn from it? Are you wanting to follow him? I, the reaction? You are his, verse 28. You are his disciples, disciple, but we are Moses' disciple. We know that God spoke to Moses. As for this fellow, we do not know where he is from. Now, how did they know that God spoke to Moses? How did they know? They knew because they believed what was written about in times past. They didn't see it with their eyes. They believed eyewitness account. 
They believed what was written. And here's Jesus standing in front of them doing these miracles and they refused to see it. They refused to believe. This man, this man that had been blind, had a very logical reason to believe that Jesus was who he said he was. He had had a personal experience with the miraculous ability, the healing that this man had encountered. Sometimes I, when I'm looking at these accounts, I try to put myself in that person's place. What would it have been like to have never seen in my entire life, to hear people talk about the colors, to hear people talk about the shapes, to hear people talk about seeing the wind blow through the trees, seeing the sunrise and the sunset, seeing the faces of people they know. All these things that this man has never seen in his life, Jesus comes up, heals him. He can see everything. How that must have affected that man. So, in verse 30, I don't know man, what this man's educational background was. I don't know what his philosophical background was. I'm guessing he had learned quite a bit. I'm guessing he had learned quite a bit sitting at the temple asking for alms, sitting near the synagogues listening to the teachings. I'm sure he had heard quite a bit because in verse 30, the man answered and said to them, why is this a marvelous thing that you do not know where he is from? Yet he has opened my eyes. Now we know that God does not hear sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, he hears him. That was a teaching of the, of the Jewish elite. Verse 32. Since the world began, it has been unheard of that anyone opened the eyes of one who is blind. If this man were not from God, he could not do anything. So what do these leaders of the Jews do in verse 34? They can't attack the fact that he wasn't blind. They can't attack the fact that he can't see. So they do the next best thing. Verse 34, they answered and said to him, you were completely born in sins and you are teaching us and they cast him out. They did a, made a personal attack and threw him out. This man had seen for himself the power of God through Jesus Christ. There's no reason those Jewish leaders could not have seen for themselves and understood for themselves the power of God through Jesus Christ. But they refused to look. They refused to see it. In John chapter 11, we have the account of Jesus and his friend Lazarus. Lazarus is sick. Jesus waits to go see him. You know the story. We're not going to spend a lot of time on that. But I want to take you down. I want to take you down to verse uh, 41. 
Then they took away the stone from the place where the dead man was lying. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. And I know that you always hear me. But because of the people who are standing by, I said this, that they may believe that you sent me. Now, when he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And he walked out of the tomb. Lazarus, come forth. Just on a side note, this is an interesting event to me. I've often wondered what would have happened if Jesus, standing in the middle of a cemetery, had just said, come forth. Might have been a mass resurrection. So he's specific. He says, Lazarus, calls him by name. Lazarus, come forth. And this event, all these people, all these people that were there mourning with Mary and Martha, they saw this happen. Again, put yourself in their shoes. You know he's dead. You've, you've mourned for him for several days. You've had the funeral. He's been four days in the tomb. I don't know how long he'd been dead before they finally got him in the tomb. A few days anyway. So maybe he's been dead a week. And now he's walking around. He's talking. I can go up and hug him and and speak to him and he can speak back to me. In verse 45. Then many of the Jews who had come to Mary had seen and had seen the things Jesus did believed in him. This event caused many people to believe because they'd seen it for themselves. They'd seen this event with their own eyes. But verse 46, some of them went away to the Pharisees and told them the things that Jesus did. Then the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered a council and said, what shall we do? For this man works many signs. Where's the challenge? Where's the question that he didn't really raise Lazarus from the dead? Where's the optional argument that this was a a stunt of some kind, a trick? They don't challenge that. That's interesting to me. They don't challenge the fact that Lazarus was dead. They don't challenge the fact that he's now alive. They're only upset because Jesus is doing all these things. So in verse 53... From that day on, they plotted to kill Jesus. That was their answer. There was That was their answer to seeing for themselves. Some people that saw for themselves believed. Some people that saw the exact same thing refused to believe. Incidentally, if you didn't know this, in, in chapter 12, in chapter 12 and verse 9, A great many of the Jews knew that Jesus was there in that area. And they came not for Jesus' sake only, but that they might also see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. See, I think I would have been in that group. If I hadn't been there and seen it happen, I think I would have probably been there to try to find and talk to Lazarus. I don't know about you, but I'd have had questions. What did it feel like? What did you see? What what did you do? 
did you, was it dark and you just laid there the whole time? Did you did you experience anything? I would have been curious to know the answers to those questions. Verse 10. But the chief priests plotted to put Lazarus to death also. They, they can't deny what happened, so let's kill the proof. Let's get rid of the proof. John chapter 20. John chapter 20 and verse 19. This is after Jesus is, has died, after he's been buried, after he's resurrected from the dead. Verse 19, then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut where the di- disciples were as- assembled for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in the midst and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said these things, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus appears to the disciples and he proves that it's him by showing them his hands and his side. Look, it's really me. Remember what they did to me? The marks are still there. He shows them. If we jump down to verse 25, well, 24. Now Thomas, called the twin, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. The other disciples therefore said to him, We have seen the Lord. Now there's times, I'm confident, I'm 100% of this, that we don't get the entire conversation. I have a feeling, based on what's going on here, I have a feeling that they that there may have been a back and forth. Well, are you sure it was him? Yeah, he showed us his hands. He showed us his side. I'm po- we're positive. I imagine that explanation happened at some point. Thomas says, unless I see the hand his in his hands the print of the nails and put my finger into the print of the nails and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. Because of this, we often... We have a little nickname for Thomas, don't we? What do we call him a lot? Doubting Thomas. And it's true. He doubted what the other apostles said. But I kind of feel sorry for him getting that little nickname. Because all he did was ask for the same proof. The same proof that the other disciples had received. He showed you the hand and his side. I want him to show me that same proof. I want to see the same thing you saw. So down in verse 27, then he said to Thomas, reach your finger here. Well, sorry, in verse 26. And after eight days, his disciples were again inside and Thomas with them. Jesus came, the doors being shut and stood in the midst and said, peace to you. Then he said to Thomas, reach your finger here and look at my hands and reach your hand here and put it into my side. Do not be unbelieving, but believing. Jesus provides Thomas with the exact same proof that he provided to the other apostles. The exact same proof so that he would believe. In verse 29, Jesus says, Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. 
Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Jesus knew that there would be individuals, there would be people who would need to believe without physically seeing him. He eventually was going to leave this earth and nobody after that time was going to be able to physically put their eyes on his hands and on his side. That's us. That's us. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. What proof do we have? We have this proof. It's been written down. It's been recorded. In in verse 30, And truly Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. The reason John wrote all this stuff down was so that we could believe. Was so that we would have the proof that we would need without being able to actually see for ourselves physically. In Luke, uh, Luke chapter one, the first four verses of, of Luke's account, inasmuch as many have taken into set, uh, many taken in hand to set in order a narrative of those things which have been fulfilled among us. Just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having had perfect understanding of all things from the very first, to write to you an orderly account, O most excellent Theophilus, that you may know the certainty of those things in which you were instructed, so that you may know the certainty. So that you have the proof that you need. I want you to have all the information. Jesus wants us to have all the proof that we need to believe. There's a reason that he wants us to have that proof. There's all kinds of proofs. Um, first, uh, yeah, first Corinthians. First Corinthians chapter 15. Moreover, starting with verse one, moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received and in which you stand, by which you also are saved. If you hold fast the word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain, for I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures, that he was buried and that he arose on the third day, according to the scriptures, and that he was seen by Cephas. And by the twelve. After that, he was seen by over 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remained present, but some have fallen asleep. After that, he was seen by James, then by all the apostles. Then last of all, he was seen by me also, as one born out of due time. For I am the least of the apostles, who came not to be worthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. But I labored more abundantly than they all, yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. Therefore, whether it was I or they, so we preach, and so you believe. Why did Paul go take the time to list out all of these instances of Jesus appearing after his resurrection? Single individuals, small groups, 
large groups. Why does he say some of them are still alive? Because he wants them to feel free to go see for themselves. To go talk to them. To ask them. Before that, he includes the phrase twice according to scriptures. Look at what the old law says about what is going to happen with the coming Messiah and see for yourself that that's exactly what happened with Jesus. That everything that was foretold happened. Search it for yourself. Look for yourself. Go talk to people. Listen to the eyewitnesses. He does this so they will believe. In 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15, we're to be ready to give an answer. Ready to give an answer or a defense, some of your versions might say. Many of you probably know this, but that Greek word is apologia. That Greek word apologia means a verbal defense, a reason statement, or an argument. This was a legal term. A reason defense. It's, it's, it's related to the word apologion, sorry, apologiomai. It's all Greek to me. Um, to make a defense, to give full account, or to calculate well or consider well. This is, this is reasoned. This is logical. This is thoughtful. This is some, these are things I have proof about. This is what we're supposed to be able to do. To give Proof to give a defense, a reasoned argument about the things that we believe. Romans chapter 12 and verse 2, we're supposed to be transformed by what? The renewing of our minds. The way we think. How we reason. Understanding. Learning. Gaining information and thinking it through. And then using that, it says we are to prove that God's will is acceptable and perfect. Proof. So that we can prove the acceptable will of God. That word prove is the word, the Greek word dokamazo. And it means to test, examine, scrutinize, approve, or deem worthy. This was a word that was commonly used in the testing of metals and gems to determine their value. To determine their purity. We are supposed to be able to test and examine the things that we think we know. Reason in our mind and prove it. Prove it. God does not expect us to work solely on blind faith. Yes, there are things we cannot materially prove like might be necessary in a court of law. But the vast majority of biblical teachings teachings can be proven. Events, times, people, places, these things can be known and proven without a shadow of a doubt. Teachings can be tested against the things that are written in Scripture. We should not just know what we believe, we should also know why we believe it. And we should be able to prove it to others. That task of knowing why we believe what we believe 
that task falls to us as individuals. It is not up to someone else to prove it to us. We should prove it for their, for ourselves. Even if they do prove something to us, we should still take the time to prove it to ourselves. Not just take their word for it. Take a teaching of the church. One you know. Baptism. John's lesson was a great lesson. Take a basic teaching of the church that you've heard maybe all your life and prove it to yourself. Look at the information that's in Scripture and find out why you believe what you believe. Study an account in the Scripture. Take one of these accounts of something that happened and look at it. Examine it. Compare it to other Scriptures. Compare it to historical documents and see. Could this have really happened? Would it really have happened that way? Can I know this confidently? Be a Berean. Compare teachings with the Scripture. We cannot give a defense for something that we have not proven to ourselves. In 2 Timothy... 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1. You therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is is in Christ Jesus, and the things that you have heard from me among many witnesses, commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. God does not just want us to teach. He wants us to teach so that the people we teach are able to teach others. That means I have to prove what I'm teaching to myself, then I have to prove it to somebody else and encourage them to prove it to themselves. Think about what the Bereans did. They heard Paul teach something and then questioned it and went and found out if what he was saying was true. Paul was an educated man. He was educated in secular knowledge, but he was most importantly educated in Jewish knowledge. He was educated at the feet of Gamaliel. One of the, one of the top, and this is one of those things you can go back and look and prove Gamaliel was well known and well respected in his day. Not just based on scripture, but based on other information. He was well-known, well-liked, and well-thought-of as a teacher. This is the education that that Paul had. When those Bereans checked, double-checked what Paul was saying, I don't know, Paul. I'm hearing what you're saying, but I'm going to look it up for myself and see. I've been in upper education. And I've sat in college classes. You know what a modern day teacher would have done? If you looked at them and said, I hear what you're saying. I'm not sure I believe it. I'm going to see it. I'm going to go see it for myself. I'm sure other people in here have had the same experience, but I have talked religiously with, talked religion and the Bible with people that 
have a degree from someplace. And I'm talking to them. And then they ask me, where did you get your Bible knowledge? And I say, from the Bible. And they say, well, I got my Bible knowledge from such and such a college. I have such and such a degree. And then they don't want to talk to me anymore. Because I'm not worthy of their time. Not if I'm questioning them. That's not allowed. They know what they're talking about. Did Paul react that way? No. Paul was glad. Paul commended them. We're talking about this because Paul pointed them out on purpose and said this was an excellent thing. He was glad that they were testing it. Why was he glad they were testing it? Because they were going to see it for themselves. And then they would know it to be true without it, beyond a shadow of a doubt. We can only effectively teach the things we know. We can only know by studying. Both together and individually. It's the only way that we can learn. We cannot learn by listening once or twice a week. That's just not going to happen. Not only is it acceptable to see for ourselves, it is important that we investigate. The Bereans wanted to see for themselves. Nicodemus wanted to see for himself. People traveled from all around to see Lazarus because they wanted to see for themselves. Thomas wanted to see for himself. And Paul encouraged his listeners, the people that were reading his writings, he encouraged them to see for themselves. It is our job to see for ourselves, help other people see for themselves, and never stop being like the Bereans.